But the thing is, is it shows up in my doorstep, right? So, so when I look at some of these things, I'm going, you know. But, like, well, what's like, the takeaway you... there? Like, well, like, okay, let's say that you take this and you just you swallow it. You're like, okay, I now recognize that the the candy cane, the Christmas candy cane, is a Christian symbol that was designed specifically to teach me about Jesus. Right. Now what? <laughs> but as you always say, yeah, yeah. What's the so what and what now? Yeah. So what and what now? What do you what do you do with that? tell me that wait wait who would be firing who in this scenario well i'm looking at you but your head is strategically placed because you know we're having conversation like yeah. human people mm-hmm. and then right behind you it says the horror from outside <laughs> so i <laughs> so i'm just wondering if you're if there's something you want to talk about let me let me change that Sorry. no that was just um I was just writing this morning. Oh, okay. And that's the uh, the title of an entry. As far as I know. Because <laughs> <laughs> if you don't want me to be here, I can go. Yeah, that's always the danger of, of uh, accidentally leaving something on the computer screen, isn't it? I don't know. I don't know what they... <laughs> the title of this podcast will be uh, if JT finally realizes what, how I feel, how I truly feel about him. Uh well, welcome to Crossing Faith for Christian and Muslim talk, religion and politics. The title of this episode is "The Horror from Outside." <laughs> um, these were left at the bakery uh, in a prominent place for me to see. What the hell are they? The candy cane story. Uh, can I just read this out? Yeah, it was. There was. I've got a bunch of them because they were strategically left, and um, and. I can't help but feel that it's it's um it's it, you know it's 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 subversive because we hold the evangelical well it's not evangelical so it's, it's a Christian fellowship meeting that happens every Wednesday because they don't have a place to go yep and uh, and in the winter time they use my office um and so I can't help that it's not it's like one of them. And I know them all very personally, so I'm trying to think of. They have a few few that come in and out, but um, by and large, you know, we're a lot. You know, they're a, a great group of of, of guys. Uh, um, but it's like you know, it's like kind of like you know, machinists and mechanics and and just dudes, you know, who are you know trying to you know just muddle through life. But I can't imagine. I'm trying. I'm trying to figure out who it possibly could be. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, so, but yeah. I've got four of these. We, we I've yeah. got a bouquet of these, <laughs> and do, and and I'm just wanting to inquire because you wanted to have Christmas themed. We talked about having a Christmas themed podcast as we're on the the precipice of um, of of uh, this uh, this holiday. So it says the candy cane story, but I, I'd appreciate it if you read read through it. And first of all, have you ever heard of the candy cane story of, of Jesus? Yes. You have? I have. Sweet fancy voices. This does ring some Christmas bells for this evangelical. Because I have four, what are these, uh, bookmarks. I think these are bookmarks. Are these, are these made for to forgiving yeah. paper cuts? I don't think people really use books anymore, but were you to have a book in your possession, you might use this too. Remember, you so, so you're going to read this, but I'm going to read the other side because what mainly because it's shorter, yeah. Um, and I'm and I, but I feel I would could never read the this entire uh, you know, four stanza, five stanza thing with mm-hmm. with with the eloquence that that you have. But it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. There's a lot of yeah, uh, of of emphasized words in red. Uh, that who, who's over whosoever 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 believe believeth in him should not perish from having everlasting life. I should, should not my, perish, but have everlasting life. I should have brought my glasses. And it says John three sixteen, but then it says God, He is Son, Him everlasting life. If you read the red words, mm-hmm. does that is that is that a phrase? God, God He, he is, is Son. son. No, him that's everlasting life. That's not why would they? Uh, I'm 
And frankly, I find it astonishing that you don't have John three sixteen committed to memory. Um, it, 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 you know, I don't memorize. I rumor in innuendo. Um, so it, it, you know, and the word John is a, it's it's a small J. Well, here's, you know, which means that it's it's all made up. I know we want to read what's on the front, but what I'm gravitating towards here is that Fidita has a logo that says Scripture Candy. It says ScriptureCandy.com, Birmingham, Alabama, which makes sense, and then it says printed in China. Ibibli, you're right. With- you know, this is they—they they, so, got—they got to cut their costs because they—we're they, not allowed to bring Bibles into China, but, but, <laughs> well, you're allowed to bring Bibles into China. China produces major, the majority of the Bibles. Yeah, there is a there is a story that you know, China is a a highly oppressive place for Christians, and I'm not sure to what extent that is actually. True. Look, uh, we, we've. I think we've talked a little bit about this. There was about 15 years ago. Was in the international. Religion, so I've been in the international religious freedom space most of my life. Right. It was. Uh, look, look, it, it was more than 15 years ago. 20 years ago, it was. Uh, there was like eight million persecuted Christians globally. Right. Then, um, then we started getting into. Uh, uh, who was the most persecuted? Because you got 200 million Muslims just in just in India alone, mm. and then you got another 80 million. So then it popped up to it popped up to 70 million Christians are persecuted globally, uh, and that was that was maybe, maybe about 10 years later. And admittedly, ISIS got you know they got their fair share of 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 Christians, but even still, the most persecuted religious group by ISIS were Muslims. Uh-huh. Uh, which it, I we, we I remember the argument with Secretary Kerry about including them in the genocide designation, and he didn't want to do it. Um, it was a heated heated debate. So his his um, bigoted and very personal stamp on that designation was it's Christians, Yazidis, and other religious minorities, uh-huh. which were which included the Muslims, even though they were the yeah. Uh, and so there's been a, a hefty, it started about 15 years ago, uh, uh, this, this, this effort to demonstrate that Christians are the most persecuted. And so a series of reports came out where, um, this one just came out maybe three, four years ago in, in, in England that said that Christians are the most persecuted. And what they say is in a hundred and in a hundred and forty two countries, Christians are persecuted, but in. 100 and 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 is so it's said they're the most persecuted is not muslims are the the, the next persecuted because uh-huh. it's 140 141 but it doesn't quantify the numbers so in 142 countries could be it's just one there's one christian that's persecuted who's a con you know and so whereas the numbers don't don't the math is always fiddled with um and so it doesn't matter who's pers- who's the most persecuted. What difference does it make? Do you quantify this by numbers, the number of people being persecuted, or do you quantify it like per capita in terms of how many, uh, proportionally, how many members of a given religious group are persecuted? If you do the numbers, which is how you should do it, okay, is we have a population of the planet. This is how many people. This is this is these are these are the different faith groups. And, the, and then of these faith groups, these are the ones that are persecuted. The problem is, is when you get to intra-faith mm-hmm. persecution, which I think that the most egregious is the, the Christian community of that. Yeah. Um, you know, like I deal with evangelicals all the time and they talk about, I mean, there's in defense of Christians, right? There's um, um, a Jubilee campaign. There's uh, a number of them. Like it's it, There's so many Christian groups. And then, and that are that are all about Christian persecution, and the challenge is, is that most of them are evangelical groups, and they talk about the numbers, but they are all too happy to have the most persecuted Christian group that's out there with violence, right? We're not talking about the Baptists down in 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 the southern part of America who are persecuted because they feel that there are other faith groups in a religiously free country that may not agree with them. Mm-hmm. So when they say happy holidays, they consider that persecution. Yeah. Um, 
and and I don't know, maybe you and I talked about this, but I I never I never I never I've, I've never encountered someone that's not said Merry Christmas and that said Merry Christmas back or Happy Holidays. Mm-hmm. But if you say Merry Christmas to somebody, somebody says Merry Christmas to you and you say Happy Holidays, that's persecution. But the, the people that are getting the most violence um, in the, I think in the Christian community, the Orthodox Christians in the Middle East. Right. I mean, the whole swaths of those communities have been savaged. Yeah. In the Antiochians, the Church of the East, um, and and you know all these Oriental churches, I think is the the correct nomenclature. And so they're all too happy that those guys are getting slammed, but they use their numbers as for Christian persecution. But. I think that it doesn't matter how what the numbers are, um, but if I was gonna if I was gonna say how to step into the conversation appropriately, it would be you have the populations of the world, you have the you have the Christian groups in broad terms, and then who's persecuted by other religious groups or non-religious groups, right? Mm-hmm. And then you have to decide what is persecution, right? So is it violence? Is it discrimination? Is it so we don't. And, and, and really, the, all that stuff's in its infancy. That's what the bulk of my research is about, is about looking at how to designate or elaborate on um, uh, religious persecution. And, and there's, there's, there's major, major roadblocks to that. Right. Uh, and, and I'll give you an example. I wrote an article using data to demonstrate that Hazaras are no more persecuted in Afghanistan than any other religious group, but Hazaras are always uh, designated as being religiously persecuted because they're Shia. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I analyzed all the numbers over the course of twenty years and said, well, they there's no significant numbers of violence um, or or attacks on them than any other group. Um, there's actually a correlation between uh, the acts of violence against the Hazara group and spikes in uh, violence related to uh, an environment becoming from secure to less secure because it's a war zone, right? In, in Afghanistan, and so everyone would get persecuted. Everyone gets attacked when when things shift to violence as opposed to a stable environment, right? And it becomes more of a war zone. And but people only look at it and say, "Oh, uh, well, this must be religious persecution." Let's put this in the report. And so it's been part of the reports for the United States Commission for National Religious Freedom and, and the State Department for you know 30, almost thirty years. But the problem with that is is that if there's no significant change in, and there's no significant numbers in 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 the attacks on Hazaras and other faith groups, so the Hindus, right, and uh, um, other religious minorities like like the like like the Ishmali population or uh, it, it, if there's no saving numbers, then, then it's not a religious thing, right? The, the, the only time, the reason why Hazaras are singled out is because they're seen as descendants of the Tumen, uh, the, the Tartars and the Tumen that occupied Afghanistan. And they have a political alignment with Iran, Iran. And that's what, that's the main reason. But they, the problem is, is they, it's an ethnic and, and political combine that comes into the rubric of when we should, or when the Afghans are are are, are attacking or have an adverse opinion of the uh, of the of the Hazaras. But when it comes to religious persecution, for years I discovered through the data that's out there, the public data, that there's no significant, uh, there's not, there's not, it's, not, it's, not, it's not significant the numbers when it comes to analyzing. Whether the Shia, the, the, the Shia Hazara are getting persecuted more than any other group, or getting attacked more, or have acts of violence more. Problem with that is that I've verified the data. I actually went in country and and got more data. I submitted the article multiple times, and and the the the, the entity that act the Freedom of Religious Belief and entity that actually funded this this research decided not to print it. And canceled my the, my research because they the in the in through the editing process the chief editor and the assistant said Hazaras are persecuted and I said what well, the the data doesn't support that and I'm Shia and they they wanted an, they wanted a different outcome and I said well then prove it and they said well everyone knows it 
So there's these weird narratives, not even in, not just in the Christian community, but in the Muslim community, where it's like you they, they want to maintain or hold fast to these anecdotal elements, uh, anecdotal uh, uh, stories, and then funding gets directed because of these anecdotal stories, right? Right. And so it's all anecdotal. So people say, well, let's direct funding to the Hazara, or let's direct funding to Christian groups, or let's funding this because they're persecuted. And people say, well, how are they persecuted? Well, ISIS was there, right? So. And and these communities are being are, are being hard, but the money is funneled to the money is being funneled to these groups to salaries and all this other stuff, but it doesn't have any impact on the the actual events that are creating are 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 increasing religious persecution. And the Pew and Gallup do some really nice evaluations of of religious persecution. And since the ratification of IRFA in nineteen ninety eight, the International Religious Freedom Act. Religious persecution is on the rise steadily. You know, 70% of the world is faithful. 80 83% of them are persecuted at, at present. And the number keeps going up. And so the question is why? And one, it's because it's anecdotal. Two, uh, it, it, it all, of, of who's persecuted and how many and why. And what's traditionally been persecuted, that's one. Two is, is all the money, that the funding is aggregated by a few NGOs. And now that money goes into, into salaries. And for programs that don't have any impact and, it's not, and or the funds aren't used for the intended purpose. And then the third thing is, is that you have these sort of like elders of the international religious freedom movement that govern it and who publish books and who are out on the circuit and so forth. And, uh, and they're not stewarding the program. They're not stewarding the agenda appropriately. And by any rubric, you see an increase in religious persecution globally. And that's freedom to believe, not believe, change and choose. So that's the people that don't believe too. So I don't think this is religious persecution. I think this is suggestive Christianity and evangelism. Yes. But, uh, but it's, but it was fun to find out to, 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 to have these, uh, cause it's Jesus with a candy cane J, which like I, 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 I must've laughed for a, a good, I would say minute and a half. Mm-hmm. I, cause I so I, I couldn't even read it because I was laughing so hard. I was, I was, I, I, my eyes were doing this. And then I couldn't find my glasses. So, but um, it's the Candy King story, which is familiar to you. Mm-hmm. Sorry for going on a international religious freedom rant, but I'm, in, I'm knee deep in, in this, in this uh, religious, free, in, in my research. And it's interesting to get my, my research canceled because people said, well, we feel that this meets, this is incorrect. When was it canceled? A year ago. A year ago. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It and, was uh, very, very educational. Oh, uh, uh, <laughs> it's a, it's a struggle of mine. Yeah, it's it's interesting to me because um, as you know, just looking at the back here, the the narrative in the evangelical church that I always heard was that you know uh, China is a place that's very hostile. To Christians, which I think most likely anecdotally is true. I, I'm looking at a Pew, a, a recent Pew um, survey that uh, is saying that since 2010, about 2% of the population of China has identified as Christian. And then uh, in the last couple of years, it's kind of dropped down to 1%. And um, my intuitive sense here is that the environment towards Christianity or any other kind of religious devotion in China is cool enough that there's probably some hesitancy to admit it if you have a religious affiliation. So anyway, the only reason that that's, you know, interesting in this context is that I get a certain amount of dark um, Kobe from when I see things like Christian religious pamphlets printed in China or American right. flags printed in China, where we have, we have this, you know, uh, political religious, religious animosity towards this superpower. Right. And yet rely heavily on them for the promotion of our political and religious values. It, it, it's difficult because I've, I've represented, um, I've you know, done a number of events with this holiness, the Dalai Lama, and I've represented the Kampa the people 
which they, uh, the 42 chairs on the, uh, on the, on the, the, the government in exile, uh, 20, 26 of them are held by the Kampa people, uh, the Tibetan warriors, you know, warrior monks, however you want to describe them. They are the guys that guard, uh, uh, they fought the Chinese from 49 to, to, I think 79 until they just ran out of people. Uh, and, and I spent some time in China. I would argue, and this is certainly not a defense of the Chinese government, uh, that they want to integrate everything into a government process. Mm -hmm. So in 49, the, the Chinese invaded Tibet, the Tibetan plateau, and they waged, and somebody said, we'll say a, a, a cultural genocide on, on, and on, uh, and religious genocide of the Tibetan people. Um, I think that's true. And, but the challenge is, is that we, the, the Chinese don't look at it that way. So the Chinese look at it as a valued part of their culture that needs to be integrated somehow, um, into a, um, the, 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 the one China concept. And that's, that's how they approach everything. So, my Uyghur friends would probably really be hammer me on this one, but the, they don't want independent, um, independent or or semi-independent states or 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 entities within within China. They want a fully integrated. Um, you know, it's like you can't be autonomous, right? Because and, the key, the key to communist thought is centralization. Well, centralization and it's, you know, they, they're always, they, there's no, ch there's no chance China invading here. Right. And I mean, there's no chance. Um, I mean, they, they have that, was it, was it called the social, social credit? Uh, what is it called? The, yeah, the social credit system, the social credit system. Um, you know, sometimes I wish we had, we had that because I know a lot of people that would have zero, you know, so. Um, but aside from that, I, that, I have you on record as saying uh, John Pinna is in favor of a social credit system. I'm not in favor. I just think it would be really interesting to see what social credit scores people have, and then ha and see with, who who actually can survive the social credit audit. That's I, mean, I just want to have the audit. I think, um, but I think we have that to assert. I think we have worse than the social credit system with the woke open. You can be canceled in a moment's notice. And you can and and uh, based you could be judged based on one phrase saying or someone's interpretation of who you are, and you could be done. At least the social credit system, you at least know the rules. But um, I think the woke open is is, is really destroyed. But anyway, I think I've made enemies of everybody in that statement. So, um, but uh, China wants to integrate everyone. So the problem with China is the challenge is that how do you do that and they generally do it heavy handedly. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the Uyghurs are seen as Turkic peoples with ties to Istanbul, well, Ankara, which means that they're subversive, which then means, from a Chinese perspective, that's it. We need to stop them. So, is it a religious persecution issue? Or if you aggregate, and this is the problem with. What I was talking about earlier. The problem is, if you're not assessing the different qualities of a of a population, political affiliations, ethnic, plus looking at it from history, historical perspective, are they being persecuted because their faith group, or their religion, or are they being persecuted for other reasons? So, in in the case of Hazaras, you have a political and ethnic group being persecuted who happens to be Muslim, happens to be Shia, but they're not being persecuted because they're Shia. Mm -hmm. So that there is therein is the therein lies the issue. So if if everybody is is a is a is a is is a, if a, if a group is a person of faith and they're being persecuted because of whatever a land dispute, you can in a in a religious freedom movement, what they'll do is they'll focus on the religion and say they're being this is happening because of their faith. And so I don't know what the assessment is of China. It'd be a very interesting assessment to look at it and say. Who is being claiming to be persecuted because of faith at this point, and why? 
Um, and then what are the actions? And then looking at the le- and, and creating a rubric. And that's what I, that's the bulk of my career is looking at. The latter part of my career is trying to establish uh, a, 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 a rubric and to look at how, how populations are persecuted. And I, I wrote an RFP, a, a, a request for proposals at complex stabilization operations that funded the initial programming, the initial assessment at, at ACLED. So this is the armed conflict database. Uh, and that, so it was a, it was a pilot of un, a number of countries to assess whether or not populations were actually persecuted because of religion or something else. Well, when you have a group of people, you have the, the particulars of religious beliefs, you have political persuasion, you have ethnicity, and you have uh, historical claims to land and property and that sort of thing. And it, I wonder, it, like, if you were to take religious persecution conceptually as a whole and ask what groups are persecuted by other groups purely because of their religious persuasion. Yeah, because of their, their beliefs, you yeah. know. Or, and, yeah. So I would argue that that, to me, it seems that that probably really only happens in an intrafaith context. So uh, no, it does. I mean, uh, I mean, very rarely happens outside. It. So the, I mean, the context for that seems most likely to me, for example, is where you have uh, two white middle class Americans that are uh, at odds with each other because one is a Calvinist and the other is an Armenian, Armenian, right? Right, Armenian, um, and that. You know, that's very easy to imagine where they kind of hold all other values to be the same and have the same general context and history, but they differ on a particular religious point, and that makes them, uh, that, that creates animosity between them. And th- that happens pretty pretty frequently in an intrafaith context. But interfaith or between groups of people, um, to what extent would you say that there is religious persecution that is happening solely because of religious persuasion. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I don't know if I couch it that way. I'd say there's primary, secondary, tertiary <laughs> reasons, you know, for a conflict for persecution, right? Mm. Generally, I find that, 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 that there's a lot of political and economic combines that come to bear, yeah. right? And that's generally what it is. So like when I was at the American Islamic Congress, I spent a lot of time defending the Ummah, right? And, and, and the Ummah was defined as, those that self-identify as Muslims who are not advocating for violence. So that meant everybody. Yeah. And it was a very tough thing because we had a, one of the, one of the groups that I, that, that was part of the Oman or considered part of the Oman was the Ahmadi people. So the Ahmadi are like <clears throat> evangelical Muslims. It's a good way to look at them. Okay. And, um, and it's, it's difficult within the Muslim community because theologically they do not align with a lot of with a large part of the Muslim community, right? So they're not mainstream. Um, but they have su- websites that say true Islam and all this other stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And I had an incident of, of a persecuted Amadi individual in the UAE. And right away, you know, the community called me and said, this is what's needed to happen. And, and he's being persecuted because it's fake. So I called, I called, at that point, I had some high contacts at the UAE and I called uh, a minister and I called a few people and they said, it's he was arrested because it's a land dispute between him and his in-laws um you know yeah it might be Amadi, and that might be uh outrageous to us but that has nothing to do with this this mm-hmm. is a family dispute over land yeah over a, over a house and he was arrested for committing violence against his family which is why they called the police right but when it translated here to you know the combine the Almaty community, they turned around and they said to me, "It's religious persecution." Of course, I jumped that into action. And what was interesting during that case is that no matter how many solutions I presented, the community here wanted to martyr that individual for a narrative rather than solve the problem. So let's get back to your question. Um, I think. I think in the Balkan Wars, I think when the Serbs were Eastern, are, are Eastern Orthodox uh, and the Croats, which were Catholic, 
I think it was pr- they were, they were pretty passionately anti-Muslim when they started to go after the Bosnians. Mm-hmm. This is in the early '90s. So I'm not confusing it with Kosovo. Um, <clears throat> Kosovo happened in the late '90s. So I mean, the late '90s. There weren't also ethnic. I well, well there was, factors. but but we're talking about an Ottoman. I just came back from Hungary. About uh, I was about a couple months ago. I was in Hungary. And I was with the government there, and we were conducting multi-faith engagement, and we were actually discussing a ceasefire in the Ukraine with the the, the, the Russian Orthodox Church and the and the the uh, the autocephalous and the uh, and the and the Ukrainian Orthodox Churches for the you know the Ukraine war, and and this is twenty twenty three. And they're still talking about Ottoman rule. Mm-hmm. For 70 years, Hungary was occupied by the Ottomans. And they they talk about it like it was yesterday. Mm-hmm. And so what... You, and, and they were... It was an interesting conversation because here I'm in this big monastery and, and, and they're all... It comes up. I'm the only Muslim in the room. And they're saying, you know, you know the Islamic yoke over the countries, this and that and everything else. And I said, look, you guys are uniquely fashioned because and they were complaining because Hungary's so small they don't have a stake in speaking on a lot of issues or arbitrating a lot of issues and I said well you guys aren't leveraging your oppression your martyrdom correctly I said look as experts you guys are were oppressed by 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 the by Ottoman rule and apparently it's like it just happened yesterday right mm-hmm. so because we're talking like it's like the 1600s right so it's like it's it but okay you know I said, but you guys are uniquely positioned. You have a PhD in in in, a, in what it means to interact with Muslim communities, right? With with um, under and living under under Islamic oppression, right? Um, and Ottoman rule. <clears throat> and so, um, and they like that. I said, you guys are uniquely positioned more so than any Brit, or more so than any German, or more so because you guys fended off. And you, you know, release the shackles of your oppressors and all this other stuff, which is by you guys. You meant people who lived many hundreds of years before. Yeah, but they're not. But they, but their persecution is real and it's present, Mm -hmm. even though it's happened four hundred years ago. Mm -hmm. They still are like, you know, I'm in rule. You know, they, you know, they're to the point where Hungary's like, we are a Christian nation. We are a, we are a a, a Catholic nation. This is who we are. You know. Mm So, um, and which is all fine there. That's, you know, I think it, I've, uh, I think it's I think the Hungarians have a, I think they, their, they, their identity and their embracing of their identity is, is right. You know, um, I think that they're hit on this whole thing about immigration and they said anybody can immigrate here illegally. And then I've seen reporters sort of hammer them and say, well, you know, what about, what about refugees? And they're like, we don't do that. Unless they come here legally, you know. So I don't understand a problem with that. But the problem, the challenge is that is that so it, it, certainly in Bosnia um, there was an ethnic element in it. But these conflicts are are even as, as ancient as they may be are relevant and real right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and they remember they'll say that part of the town was Christian or that that house was my great 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 grandmother's or whatever the hell they say. Um, you go to a cafe in Istanbul, and I go to the Hafiz Mustafa, which is 600 years old. It was, it's been a cafe for 600 years. The Sultan Sarai restaurant has been a restaurant for 1,500 years. Mm. What the? F- <laughs> Seriously, you're like, so, and it's celebrated and exists, that history exists in, in that moment. Uh, and I think that any, there, there, I, I would say that the primary the Bosnia war, the primary was it was, there was two Christian groups or even though the, the Croats changed sides, that were like we, we need it, we need to make this, make this happen again. Mm-hmm. Mitterrand and uh, John Manger, the, the, the two heads of of of, um, of of one was, you know, obviously the, the Prime Minister of Britain and and that and the, the president of uh, of France at the time said we want to restore Christian Europe. 
uh-huh. which is why they imposed an embargo on on the Bosnians. Yep, weapons embargo. So, so I think that explicitly, that was a religious. It was the primary element was a religious war, was a religious persecution. But when you say something like Christian Europe, and I'm I'm not trying to obfuscate your point. I, I think that you have a good point. Um, when you say something like Christian Europe, you are talking about a set of religious beliefs, but you're also talking about a lot of other kind of cultural elements. Um, right. But, but, but if we, so, yes. And, and just the fact that when we apply the word Christian with a capital T in that sense, right. um, that it comes with so much other stuff is kind of the point that I'm trying to make is that, you know, with humans, you can't just extract religion in and of itself uh as a single element right and then say but we're, I, I think we're saying the same thing yeah it's the challenge is is that on what on the on the on when on the christian side it is so casually used and thrown around mm-hmm. I, uh and i always say it, it, it's because you have a tradition of martyrdom so if you're if you are on top of the world right if you are living in a, a Christian country and you are enjoying all the fruits and everything else. How do you demonstrate that you're persecuted so that you're in alignment with Jesus and all those saints? Yeah. Right. right. How do you do that? Yep. You know? Um, and so if you feel uncomfortable with this podcast right now, know that this is, you're being, then apparently you're being persecuted right now and there, and you're closer to the saint, to the saints than you were before you listened to this. And that's my gift. Mm hmm. Um, but the point is, is that it's all anecdotal right now. And as it's anecdotal, um, religious persecution is on the rise, which is maybe what everybody wants. But I would argue that this whole, I would argue that, and this is going to be even more controversial, that there's Israel with the, the, the current conflict in Israel and the idea that there's European, uh, a Jewish, there's a European Jewish community that's in the Middle East is... As a result of religious persecution of the Jewish populations throughout Europe, and they're all too happy that 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 there's a that we can get as many Jews out of Europe, you know, and that's all part of a, a, a larger anti-Semitism throughout Europe, mm-hmm. right? So this idea, this idea of of let's get rid of this community who we don't really care for, and uh, and of course you have the Holocaust and displaced people, but they didn't want to they didn't want all these 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 internally displaced people to go back home. So, and Balfour was very passionately about that. I mean, he stated it. He said, "Let's make sure we let's find a haven for the Jewish community outside of Europe, and that solves our problem. Why not the Holy Land while we've got it? This possession, uh, and uh, and then we can also bring about the end of days by bringing them there. Um, so, I, I I think that that." Like most, like 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 most of the issues that I I I, I bring up, I think eighty percent of them or better could be, if you turn them over, there'd be a seal that said "Made in in England." So I think this is part of a British colonial thing. But but the but the bottom line is that's religious persecution, right? Anti-Semitism. As a as a loyalist, I feel uncomfortable engaging in this conversation. I, I can imagine, but <laughs> there's no lobster backs to protect you here. <laughs> Although we are heavily socialized with. With the American Revolution. Okay, so so, so go, going back to the the candy cane story, which am I being executed? Which we have off. yet to read. So, but by, by by this being dropped off, is that persecution? Well, here's what I'm here's what I'm I'm pulling out of this it, is that the reason that something like this exists is because you know the 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 Christians the Christians who are responsible for printing this want to reinforce that Christianity they them they have a claim to something that is culturally recognized and valuable and that it's rooted in them so, so we we want to, they want to say okay yeah no this comes this comes from us and I don't want you to forget that and and there's this there is this big push to to take, um, to to reassert uh, the United States as a Christian nation, because we do have you know this Christian nationalism movement right. that um, that is not dissimilar 
into the the one China policy where it's like, okay, diversity is fine, expression is good, but we want everyone to remember that there's a certain set of principles. We'll come into alignment with it. Yeah. Just remember, it's coming into alignment with this. Um, and I'm not, I'm not necessarily critiquing that. I think that there is a case to be made that a, a, a country, a, a, a complex nation that is too fragmented and fractured um, may, be, may be just technically weaker in, in what it can accomplish. Then, but let's not get off track, <laughs> because I can see that you're about to, to to bite that hook, and I didn't mean no, for you. No, no, I'm not going to bite it. But, the the but, hook is shaped like a candy cane, right? Um, right. And I'm holding three. We have four of these that were distributed. So let, let's let's read the candy cane story. Shall please, we? please uh, regale me. The candy cane. It starts. It says, "Jesus, sweetest name I know," in a really unacceptable font. It's hard to read. The candy cane A candy maker wanted to make a candy that would be a witness for his savior, so he made the Christmas candy cane. He began with a stick of pure white hard candy, which symbolizes the virgin birth and the sinless nature of Jesus. The hardness symbolizes the solid rock and firmness of the promises of God. He then formed the candy into a J for Jesus our savior, John three sixteen and 17, and the staff of our good shepherd. He stained it with three small red stripes representing the scourging Jesus received prior to his crucifixion for our healing. He added one large red stripe to represent the shedding of his blood on the cross for our salvation. And then there's John 3.16 on the back. Um, wow. So it's interesting to me that, that, that the candy maker is not named and no date is assigned. Well, because it, because it's horseshit, um, because it's, so there's two, are you on Snopes right now? Well, there's two accepted things. It's candy cane says, uh, so it's 1600s German choir master, but so what's, there was a Christian origin to it, which is much more interesting. It says made peppermint candy sticks, which is not the candy cane, but peppermint candy sticks, which were a popular, or were a popular treat in the shape of a, of a, of a cane to quiet down rowdy choir boars. <laughs> Which I think is fantastic, but it goes. But the rowdy, rowdy choir boys do continue to be a problem, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. And then it says, uh, just about everyone agrees that today's candy cane, the current, you know, red and and striped thing, uh, appeared in the U.S. around 1847 uh, in Worcester, Ohio, made by August Imgard, a German Swedish immigrant. So, like, we're, we're just—it's just a normal. You know, then they have this one that says, legend has it that candy cane dates back to 1670, where quiet ma choir master, which is the, the one that I first read, uh, at the Cologne Cathedral, uh, handed out sugar sticks among his young choir boys. Mm -hmm. I don't, I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm not uncomfortable with that narrative. All right. So, so uh, I'm looking at Snopes, uh, and at, at, according to this article in Snopes, there is really no verifiable um evidence of a a religious connection well like the white it was made for purity and what, yeah. whatever we're talking about here so this is this is a lie transacted it's, to evangelize it's propaganda and i think that i i do have a framing a problem with the framing of, of propaganda so for example there's an anecdote uh about saint patrick that he used the clover leaf as a way to teach about the nature of the Trinity, right? With I'm one not, leaf, but se what, yeah. with separate petals. Yeah, I'm not 100% sure to what extent that's accurate, but it, it's, a, it's an anecdote. He did not claim the Christians created the clover leaf. Right. He simply said, okay, you can look at this and you can see it as a symbol that is useful for learning about the nature of God. Right. Right. And I feel that it would have been less disingenuous. Yeah. Um, to take that approach with the candy cane and say, okay, you can take this popular Christmas candy and use it as a reference point for Christian truths, yeah. right? And that, that would have been great. That would have been nice and fine, right? But in this case, they're saying that there's this candy maker. They don't give him a name. They don't want to assign a date to it that did this thing. And since it's being, you know, obviously this is just a bookmark that's given out to evangelize, but at the same time, 
there, there's just it comes in a little sock, one of the socks, <laughs> you know that, with a candy cane. Oh, great! Yeah, yeah, I didn't want. I thought that was, you know, I I use the candy canes to bake, and the little socks are great decorations. Nice. Yeah. So I think that there is, a, I think that this is this is propaganda in the technical sense, um, and I do feel that there's something just a little bit disingenuous about its presentation because it is presented as a historical story um but without any real historical references does does anybody care no not really but to me that just sort of rubs me the wrong way yeah i mean it show, it show, i mean and it show, it, the thing is, is it shows up in my doorstep right so so when i look at some of these things i'm going you know well, like, well, what's like, the takeaway there? Like, well, like, okay, let's say that you take this and you just you swallow it. You're like, okay, I now recognize that the the candy cane, the Christmas candy cane, is a Christian symbol that was designed specifically to teach me about Jesus. Right. Now what? Yeah. But as you always say, yeah, yeah. What's the so what and what now? Yeah. So what and what now? What do you what do you do with that? You know, I mean, well, um, you, you realize that your entire life you've been worshiping the Savior through right. your enjoyment so, of candy canes. So the payoff is John three sixteen. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in Him will not perish but have eternal life. Right. So it's, I've seen that a lot wrong, and I always wonder. I'm like, and I read. I, I quoted it. I didn't read. I, I know you quoted. It. I know. So it's I, impressive, which no, is impressive. I, well, no, because any 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 Christian, like if you don't do anything else, you memorize John three sixteen, because that's that's the evangelical message. That's evangelizing. And so, well, we we've touched on this interesting point that, um, and and I actually sent you. Or I don't even know if you remember. I sent you an article earlier this week. Um, Yes. Oh, no, yeah. It, because evangelism, for an evangelical Christian, evangelism is simultaneously the most important thing ever or the only important thing and kind of uncomfortable and inconvenient. Right. <laughs> um, and so I sent you this article uh, from Crossway. Um, help, I don't like evangelizing. Yeah. And, this and it's, is, just, like, it's because you and I always are talking about how I like I I always I'm want monitoring and reading both evan, evangelism on all faith groups. It, but a lot of the Christian evangelists come up, you know, with these guys, you know, Cliff and these guys, this Sam guy, and a few others. And I always find it so. I always find the arguments just it's just extremely weak. Just like you know, you're stepping into into this public space, and you're you're the, the way you're they're, 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 they 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 proceed is we're what I when I know is fact and what you know is fiction, um, and you're either ignorant or stupid, uh-huh. and um, and let me patronize you into uh, submission. That's generally how I and it, and it happens in the Muslim community. It happens all the time. I mean, I I got these guys who are um, it was this one guy who I, who I I watch quite a bit. It's he's just a kid. This is a young guy. Um, and he wears, he, he, you know, he wears, he gets into traditional Muslim clothing and, and, and cultural clothes. And basically he answers questions all day long about when he's streaming about what is appropriate and what's not appropriate. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You kind of, you're kind of weirdly obsessed with this guy. Well, um, well, I, well, in the Muslim community I am because it's, it, it's, you mean, you guys, you get a question, but like, what about the Shia, Shia Muslims? Are they? Oh no, they're all wrong. That's that's all. That's all. Yeah, um, you have that, exactly the same yeah, thing. We have, Christian kind. Yeah, we have seen this. Yeah, they're it's all. kind of like there's there's a there's a basically an archetype of kind of like a, a bullish young Christian guy with a beard right. who wears like a, a three piece vest. Yeah, yeah, right. And he'll go on and just explain why his view of systematic theology is the only right. right. Or there's the elder who who will talk about how they fell down. And how they had to fortify their arguments by learning because they 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 weren't as well versed when they were younger, and they had fallen down, you know, multiple times. And now they have the true message. Now that they're older, that seems to be right. the way in which you know. Um, I think this guy Cliff, that was his. You know, I've seen an interview of him, and he's uh, he's on on He says, "I learned how I learned it." 
I learned, I got deep into theology and evangelism because I, my arguments weren't sound in the beginning. Yeah, that's a pretty common refrain. You know, and, and, and so he, and then he's like, but now, now I hold the truth. I go, but, but you, you said that back in the day too. So you, you can't, you know. Yeah. Well, part of it, you know, in the Christian context, part of evangelism is, is this, this idea that you, you really, it's, it's incumbent on you to know how to counter all sorts of different attacks. Right. Yeah. Right. In the same way that it would be if you were in a military situation and you had to know how to deal with different scenarios. That's like, and, and it is that idea of, of persecution that we live in a context where people are going to be coming at us from all sides with arguments against our faith. And we have to be able to are counter those arguments. And this is the question. Are people really coming at you? Or is it that you're insinuating yourself into a situation like this guy Cliff does? He, he goes into a college campus and he just starts, he, he, just, he just starts ranting and raving in front of people and singling out people. Yeah, it's and not I, like and, people are walking around with signs saying, how about those Christians? Aren't they idiots? Yeah, I've never yeah. seen if somebody says, like, don't believe in Jesus sign. I've never seen it. Yeah. Um, but I've seen, I've seen a believe in Jesus. I've seen, you know, guys in the corner do doing stuff. What would happen? Like, I'm not saying we should, but what would happen if we just, like, walked up and down Broadway? with a sign that says don't believe in jesus i just wonder what the reaction would be i don't know i, I mean and you know, I, I mean here I, mean, I don't hear enough anyway but well no, i don't care enough but like but but here but here's the problem is that christians are so passionate to attack yeah the you know the prophet right so so peace be upon and 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 what they're doing muslims tolerate muslim community the Umar tolerates the gross misconduct and attacks on Hadadisa mm. by the Christian community. I mean, egregious, vicious rumor making and like this. There were you know, these book course and and just mischaracterization of Hazadisa. Yeah, because from is, the Muslim perspective, peace be what, what Christians believe about Jesus is not only incorrect but heretical. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, without a doubt. I mean, without that. But but we, we you know we kind of you know have to we have to eat that because there would be a global conflict, right? Yeah. But the thing is, is that there's no marauding, there's no marauding Muslim armies. There's no Ottomans. There's no Sassanids. There's no none of these people are floating around anymore. And so, but on the other side, the Muslim community believes, and I and that the Ulama. Is, is quite passionate about this is that like the war in Iraq or the war in Afghanistan, these are, 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 are motivated implicitly by Christian doctrine. Mm -hmm. And, and, and that's, therein lies the case of why analysis of religious freedom, it is, it continues to be in this, this nebulous area. Um, because those that, has started the religious freedom movement in America, which is basically based on IRFA, the National Religious Freedom Act of 1998. A, a lot of them like to obfuscate the truth so that they can fund their NGOs and their organizations. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Yusuf, which, which I helped to authorize, reauthorize in 2012, which I believe the institution is very important, but I, it has its problems. Um, they basically reprint their report from the previous year change the dates, crap it out with a few highlights. Yep. And, and there's, and there's some really smart people there, staff members, educated people on point, but they're not, they're following Wilhelm's law right now. Uh -huh. And, and, and for them to do a hard analysis of religious persecution would be, would be profound. Um, so, and, and just imagine every country in the world have puts a, puts together numbers, reports to us on what's going on in their countries. Mm -hmm. There's a due date and they have to aggregate all this information and get it to us. When I was in Israel, that was one of the biggest complaints in the ministry. They're like, they're like, we have to do this. We have to, we have to put this report together. We got to put all this data together and everything else for this religious, this religious freedom thing. And they're like, it's such a hassle, you know? <laughs> uh, and I goes like, I was like, are you guys, you know, what do you guys do with those? Like, how do you collect that stuff and everything else? Like, um, they're like, the U.S. doesn't care. We just get them. We just get them as much as we can, and that's yeah. it. So there's no, 
there's no backstopping to any of it. So it's very, very loose. Uh But um, so, so with the candy cane story, Uh you knew, which is shocking. To me, like I thought, I I thought this this... time I knew that the candy cane was really about Jesus, and I didn't tell you. That's how bad an evangelist I am. No, like I, I, you know, I, I believe there's a conspiracy between you and Matt too, because he's this is a double teaming, even even evangelizing of me. You know, it's all evangelizing, right? So, um, but but boiling down the gospels, which everybody took, you know the. You know, it's a big Christian thing, right? It's a lot of books, quite a few. Mm-hmm. Down to this, it's a to this bookmark. Mm-hmm. And if you can get a soul from this bookmark, that's a win. Yeah, well, I mean, really, John three sixteen says it all. It forms the crux of the the Bible. The Christian message, as evangelicals understand it, I'm rubbing my head right now, which is why it's so ubiquitous. Um, when you look at it in the actual context that it sits in the Bible, it becomes a little bit more complicated. But if you can take this one thing, it's a really good, in a nutshell, condensation of what Christians believe, which is that you know, if you what well, evangelical Christians believe, if you believe that Jesus is who he says, who we say he is, and did what we say he did, and accept that, then you're set. You have eternal life, you'll be with him forever in heaven, and nothing can take that away from you. That's the essential message. Right. Right. And if you don't, then you're doomed. You're damned. Okay. Um, And so, just accept it. John. (laughs) <laughs> I have more respect for that than because than Cliff this is, I was out doing this thing he's like just accept it yeah like here's it's just a matter of faith just believe and you, you, you have heard I'm sure of Pascal's wager yeah yeah right? yeah why not John I you know um I have a little no sorry well, I'm, I, I'm, I'm about to get a little bit too cynical with this it's okay but you, I, my you, mother would say go to you go to heaven for the climate you go to heaven to be you go to hell to be with your friends that's the christian <laughs> doctrine yeah except it's so that actually hearing stuff like that actually makes me quite upset yeah because i think that heaven and hell these are concepts that we have to take seriously because people make very serious real decisions based on their understanding of things like heaven and hell. And also, you know, I I do poke at it a lot because I I come from that context and I see flaws in it. But I also think that if we extract the Christian foundations from Christmas as we celebrate it and take all of that away, then we are losing something that is actually really valuable and meaningful and important. Well, and well, we, so I, I do want to say that. Well, we know, talked about this. Aside. No, we, we talked about this. And you, you, the, the initial question a, a week ago or when, a few days ago when we talked about this was, you know, what, what's, what's, the, what's the idea behind Christmas from a Muslim perspective? And the idea is if you're, if you're, if you're, passionate about multi-faith and the Quran talks about how people of the book and respecting people of the book then being a good being a being a good Muslim is is not only accepting but but um, encouraging your fellow, people of faith to enjoy their holiday mm-hmm. so um but is it is it haram um is it is there so it depends on which sect you're from that would say that you're not supposed to celebrate it <clears throat> well let's ask your young friend on tiktok and see what he has to say oh he would say absolutely not <laughs> um and, and and you know and and well there's quite a few quite a few like there's i i i watch you know this there's, there's a guy in the uae who i I actually love to listen to his voice. He's actually, it's like listening to Tom Farr, who's the International Freedom 
Institute. Uh, kind of wonderful boys. Um, and and by and large, he seems he's he's a pretty mellow guy. But his problem is is that his perspective is only from the UAE, even though he's been educated overseas. So he's always like, well, you know, if you hear church bells, you know that's that 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 then that right right away you're 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 there's a problem. You know, it's like <laughs> it's like you know, come and live with me for a week and earn a living. Um, you know, instead of sitting in it, you know. In your glass house mm-hmm. in the UAE, and and saying you can do this and do this and you can't do that and you can't do this, there are no halal restaurants here in Kingston. Uh-huh. Um, his solution is well, immigrate, leave. Um, well, that he's he's actually going against a core doctrine within Islam, which is to evangelize. Yeah, by not by doing what evangelicals do, you go and you live, and you just be—it's all good works. Mm-hmm. Just be a good person, right? Um, and what does that mean? That means charity. That means pray. That means live. That means build a life. You know, like I'm an outpost here. You know, I'm an outpost. I'm. I'm. There's. You know. There's. Yeah. You're a paradigm of Islamic virtue. I don't know. I, I, I never said I, I never said I was a good Muslim. I know. You know, I know. and there's some comfort actually. Yeah, I, knew, being, I knew that's what you would say. There's, there's but there's some comfort in <laughs> it. You seem to be kind of propping yourself up. That I'm way. not I'm propping just... myself up. But, but the thing is, is that my I would I would argue with with him and say you know my path is is harder, is more difficult than yours because you can get eat halal. You can you you you're surrounded by a party of uh, sycophants. You've you're you're living the life. Um, it's very, very difficult to thread that needle here and earn a living and, you know, just just exist. So when it comes to Christmas, we're surrounded by it. Yeah. We, we, you know, I I not only run my NGO and do my stuff and do this with you, but I, I run a, a, a business that needs to flourish um, and is, is an integral part of the community that I was born into, right? I'm... I, I love the Hudson Valley. I love living here. I love my life. And um and so um multi faith he has is can conveniently ignore multi faith. Can in, in can conveniently not um make judgments, slip shop judgments based on uh being comfortable in his environment, much like an evangelical in Mississippi or something, you know? Um but but to actually live what he's talking about is much more difficult, um, and it's not. I wouldn't consider it persecution at all. But that's the that's the that's the intent of life, you know. Like some plurals who happens to be Muslim, right? Um, and some would say you need to be Muslim first. Well, I am, but that doesn't that doesn't mean that you don't enjoy the environment you're in and get the takeaways like you're saying the positivity of Christmas. Is that you know from Thanksgiving to all the way through to to um, which is a uniquely American holiday, right? Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. That goodwill starts there, and it culminates with Easter, theoretically, if you've got some 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 you know zealots around you, right? But it but there's a there is a bell curve, right, that goes up to Christmas, and sort of levels off after New Year's. And, yeah, and that maybe the second or third week of January. And that's a very unique element within a non-Islamic country. And to be around that is positive. Unless you're a psycho and you're like, oh, all this stuff and everything else. But look, I just got these three, I just got these four bookmarks to evangelize me about the candy cane. Uh And so if I took this literally, I, I might turn around and be like, oh, I'm not using candy canes in my my baking anymore. Well, I think the intended purpose is that the, you know whenever you see a candy cane during the season, you should stop and ask yourself, "Have I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior?" Is that what the, that's what they're that's what it's saying? That's what it's saying. I didn't get that at all. Yeah, it, it's too long winded. No one's going to read this. That's number one. Which, right. given the fact that it doesn't contain any actual historical references, 
Well, and the other thing is oh. the font is really like I I I don't need glasses to read this, yeah. but I would be better if I had them on. But even now, I'm having trouble reading it because the letters are doing this, <laughs> and it's and um it is freaking me out. It's yeah. like going to give me a seizure. Yeah. Um, but this has been crossing face. <laughs> I don't even know. We we got into it a little bit. I think, you know. Yeah. This has been crossing canes. Yeah, crossing canes. Scripture cane. Scripture candy. Yeah. Are there other scripture candies? There's Munchie. Oh my god. There's testaments. Oh my god. What which you can find in any self respecting Christian bookstore. Why can't the cracker why can't the host be delicious? Well, this is being crossing faith. <laughs> We're a Christian and Muslim talk religion and politics. I'm Elliot Ackerman. JT Pinnell. And we've had a good time here today. Thanks.